Take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to the book of Mark, and we are growing, or we are starting a series today, Hope Grows, Hope Grows. Uh, it's, it's a series in the Gospel of Mark that will likely take us from now right through till Easter. And it's been a while since we've done a deep dive in one of the Gospels. We did five years ago a, a dive into the Gospel of John. But if you were going to sit down and to write a book, especially a biography, you have to wrestle through some very important reasons, some very important parameters in in writing. Uh, To author a book is a lot of work, and so you don't want to put all that time, all that effort, all that energy in and, and write a book and have nobody read it. And so you have to determine who you're writing for. What's their interest in the subject? You can't include everything about a biography, and so what will you include, what will you leave out? What, what does your audience know about the culture, the time, the experience that, that shaped the subject that you're writing on? So, so in order to appreciate the gospel of Mark, you, you have to know a couple of things that went into the planning and the authorship of the gospel. It was written during the most fascinating of times. It's written about 30 years after Jesus has gone to stand at the right hand of the Father. And it is written by a a man whose name is Mark. His real name is John Mark. Mark is his family name. And uh, knowing the timing is important because... uh, during those three, year, those three decades, those 30 years from the time that Jesus left to the time that we are now in the book of Mark, lots of things have been happening. It's been busy. They've been going to and fro throughout the earth. It's gone. The church has exploded. It started with 120 people in an upper room, and, and, and it just got bigger and bigger and bigger until now. It's throughout Europe, Middle East, Far East, northern part of Africa. They've been so busy doing that they haven't been able to find the time to record all that's been being said. And so the second thing that influences this gospel is that while the gospel of Jesus was spreading throughout the world, seeing so many people get saved and changed, which which was wonderful, there was this powerful opposition to the church, to the, to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and, and, and it was trying to wipe Jesus, his teachings, and his followers from the face of the earth. And that was no more vividly seen, that was no more vividly understood than in the city of Rome. Nero was in power over the great Roman Empire at that time. And he was renowned for not only his power, but his debauchery and his cruelty. He was a bloodthirsty man, and it's rumored that he was to have killed his stepbrother, his wife, his mother, as well as many other Christians, uh, Christian church leaders, and instigating a devastating fire that took place in Rome. And he then turned around and blame the Christians for it. All of this is happening in the background while the church of Jesus Christ is still growing, is still becoming stronger and in influence. And despite intense persecution, Jesus' name is being lifted up and men are being drawn to follow him. 
And so the, the leadership of the church at Rome asks a young man by the name of John Mark to, to capture the words, to capture the work of Jesus that have only been kept by oral tradition and, and to capture them and record them for a new generation of believers, for everyone who follows. Give us a biography, they say. Give us a biography of Jesus in written form that captures who he was, what he said, what he did, that, that we can use to teach believers here in the church. Give us, a, give us a history. Give us a biography. And of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Mark is the first Gospel that is written. And Mark is the shortest Gospel that is written. Uh, This gospel is written by, as I said, John Mark, this fascinating young man. And uh, he's younger than the apostles, quite a bit younger than than the apostles. And, And his story and his connection to the gospel is extremely interesting. He's a Jewish man. He was born and for the most part raised in Jerusalem. We, we know that his mother's name was Mary. We're not just exactly sure which Mary, but one of the Marys listed in, in the Gospels. And that he was a cousin of Barnabas, the man who went out preaching and teaching with, with Paul. And, and, and he traveled with Paul and, and, and Barnabas to Antioch, and, and he caused trouble between them. Some of you will remember that. John Mark couldn't handle the, the hardship of, of this tour, that, this missionary tour that they were on, and, and uh, he, he sort of caused a little bit of dissension there, and he, he's bilingual. Um, at one of the places, he, he just thinks, I, I can't take the pressure anymore, and he pulls out and he goes home. And, and later, Barnabas, his cousin, would, would beg Paul, let's, let's take John Mark with us again. And, Jesus, or, and, and Paul says, no, <laughs> had enough of that young man. He, he's not strong enough. He, he, he can't put up with the pressure. And uh, so he eventually gets back... Uh, to back to home, and eventually John Mark goes with his spiritual father, Peter. Now, I say that because Peter is the one who led John Mark to the Lord. Peter's the one that disciplined him and discipled him in the ways of God. And he eventually goes with his spiritual father and goes with Peter and ends up in Rome preaching the gospel there. He, he's very helpful because he interprets for Paul, for, for Peter. He's a, he's a language specialist. He has two languages. And, and he's very used to hearing not only Paul preach the gospel, not only hearing Barnabas preach the gospel, but he's heard Peter preach for years and years and years and years. He heard them preach about Jesus. And, and so the church in Rome says to him, we want you to write this story of Jesus down for us. We, we commission you to write the biography of Jesus. We, we suspect that when he sits down, when John Mark sits down, he's either uh, writing just before Peter dies or after Peter has been put to death through crucifixion in in the city of Rome. And and he sits down and he records all that he's heard through the lives of men like Peter and Paul. He writes the story of Jesus. 
he, he writes of the one who changed the course of history. He, he writes to a church that is under intense persecution and says that no matter what you face, no matter what you're going through, no matter how difficult the times or the circumstance, there is hope. There's always hope. Hope shows up at the most interesting of places. We go and we jump in to Mark. We start at Mark chapter 1, verse 1. This is the good news. This is the gospel. This is the story, the biography about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah has written. Look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. Mark says, I'm going to tell you this good news story. Good news or gospel is used 14 times in the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's used eight times in the book of Mark. And, and it's, a, it's an important word. It's, a, it's an important seed of hope that he wants to place in each and every one of us. You, you can't keep quiet when you know something works. You can't keep it to yourself when something is true. It's good news. You have to share it. And, and he is making sure you understand that the story of Jesus can't be contained. Every passage that you read in Mark, and I'm going to ask you to be joining me over these next weeks to, to just read through several times the Gospel of Mark. Read it in different versions. Read it... Um, if you can, sit down and read it all at once and then break it up a little bit after that. But, but read it several times. Underline and highlight things that stay. But every passage you read in Mark, you should ask this question, what is Mark teaching me here about Jesus? What, what is he revealing? What is the good news that he wants me to see about Jesus? This good news is completely built on the person of Jesus. Built on the fact that he was sent to rescue the world. Built on the fact that he is the Son of God. If your audience are believers that are, that are being burned at the stake, if your audience are being fed to the lions for sport because the man who's in political power doesn't like what you believe or who you follow, you better be giving the people a valid, worthwhile hope to hang on to. You had better be giving them something that is real, that will get them through troubled times, and something that's worth dying for, if they're called to do that. And in the church that Mark is a part of in the city of Rome, every week you could look around and you could see brothers and sisters who were missing because they'd been put to death by Nero. Mark, Mark is telling the story of Jesus to a people who could be arrested at any time for identifying themselves as believers in the Lord Jesus. People who could be put to death as Peter would be for saying Jesus is Lord. In the church at Rome, there, there were only two spiritual temperatures when it came to faith. There was red hot... I will go where you want me to go. I will do what you want me to do. I will say everything that you ask me to say, no matter what the cost. I believe in you. I give my life to you. You are my Lord. I will do everything that you ask. Red hot. 
or there was ice cold. No one knows who I am because it's too dangerous. No one knows what I believe because it's perilous. So no one will know what I think, what I believe, or that I follow Jesus. In that city, to hold that ice-cold, apathetic, frightened kind of faith meant that you weren't a believer, that you hadn't paid the cost. They, they hung on to the words of Jesus who said, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before the Father. And so Mark puts pen to paper and he gives Nero the evidence to persecute and prosecute him. Mark boldly says in writing so that it could be brought before the courts, Jesus is Lord. He's Lord of my life. He's Lord of the church. He's the Messiah. He's the one who's sent by God. He is the Son of God. He boldly makes that statement. And, and, and he doesn't do it to antagonize the leadership. He does it to embolden the church. You have nothing to worry about. He's in control. He will work all things together for good because you love him and you're called according to his purpose. Mark records that 740 years before Jesus was born, there was a Jewish prophet who stands up and says that there will be a time in the future when change will come. The change will be dramatic. There, there will be signs that indicate that the time of transition is near. It'll be like spring when buds come on the tree that will alert you to the fact that warmer weather is coming, the fruitful season is about to, to burst forth. And he says... God said through Isaiah, I will send a messenger ahead of this one called Son of God, and he will prepare a way for him. So one of the signs that change is coming is there will be a man, an unusual man, who will announce that time is coming for change. Verse 3. He is a voice, this is Isaiah speaking 740 years in advance. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. I, I, Isaiah paints this beautiful picture of, of a unique individual who is sent as a messenger. And this man won't be found speaking in the cities to crowds. He will be drawing crowds out of the city, inviting them to come to the wilderness where they're not distracted, where they're not hearing other voices, but where there is only one voice. And, and this man that comes, he won't be refined. He won't be well-spoken intellectual that, that reasons with people like Isaiah when Isaiah says, come, let us reason together now. He will be shouting in the wilderness. I don't know if you know the man that stands at the corner of 36th and Memorial Drive two or three afternoons a week shouting, repent or you're going to hell. When you drive by him, do you give him a thumbs up? Do you think, way to go, brother. No, you sort of just drive by him and... Here's John the Baptist, and he's out in the wilderness, and he's shouting, get ready, prepare your hearts, get your minds ready for change, clear your preconceptions of what God is like and, and what he will do, 
get straightened out, get ready because the Lord is coming. Whether you are ready or not, get ready because he's going to turn the religious world upside down. The definition of insanity, I've been told, is to do the same thing over and over and over again and expect different results. This is, this one who's coming is going to mess up the status quo. He's going to do everything differently than what it was expected, and he's going to get different results. Rome has a very colorful history up to this point. There have been strong military leaders that have been at the pinnacle of power in Rome. There have been violent madmen at the helm. There's, there, have been, there was a day when Rome was ruled and influenced the world. But there's change in the air. And Mark says in Jerusalem, or says in Rome, that there's going to be a change that comes. Mark says that in Jerusalem there was going to be a change that comes when John the Baptist arrives shouting to Israel to get ready for the Lord's coming. And I'm telling you, Mark says to the church in Rome, get ready. There's going to be a revolutionary difference that comes to this city. What you've known will start to fall apart. What you've believed will not make sense. What you have counted on will start to unravel and fail. And only trust in Jesus is going to hold you. And I'm saying that Jesus is coming to Calgary, coming to Christian City Church, North Calgary, and he's saying, get ready. As we go through this Gospel of Mark, get ready, prepare, open your hearts, open your minds, get your spirit ready. Change is coming. Change is coming. It's as real today as it was for that first century Roman church. In Rome, change comes, and, and that hope for change is based on Jesus, the Son of God, eternal, without beginning or end, all wise, knowing everything, everywhere present, personally involved, lives and is big enough to overrule governments and situations. Prepare for change, he says. Church, hear John Mark this morning. He's not only speaking to Roman believers 2,000 years ago. He, he, his word is as powerful today as it was back then in the chaos and the confusion of our times. In a time when darkness seems to be holding the upper hand and people are divided and governments don't seem to have a strong sense of what is right and what is wrong and, and do what they think will please the masses so that they can be reelected. In a time when morality is mocked and the existence of Jesus is questioned and disbelieved, John Mark speaks to Christian City Church this morning, prepare the way because the Lord is coming. Get ready for change. Don't let your mind be conformed and shaped by the values and principles of this word world. Be transformed by allowing God to renew your mind, renew your thinking thoughts. Don't be lukewarm in your commitment, but be red hot in your determination to live a life that proclaims and exemplifies and demonstrates the power of this good news. 
In the last days, says the Lord, I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons, your daughters will prophesy about the goodness and greatness of God. Visions will be fulfilled. Dreams of great things will be released. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, your God, will be saved. Prepare the church for change. Get ready. God is not dead. He's not irrelevant. He's not coming in weakness. He's coming in power with authority and victory to the city that you and I live in. You want to be a part of what he's going to do. Get ready, he is saying. Verse 4. This messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and he preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented for their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. Roman believers have never met, never known, never heard much about John the Baptist. In this context, he wasn't all that important. It was his message that held meaning. And so he's not given a lot of space here, but John the Baptist was unusual. He, he was a man who wore unusual clothes, who ate an unusual diet, who spoke in an unfamiliar tone and preached his message from the wilderness. God purposely made John the Baptist peculiar, unusual, so that he could capture the attention of a people that were so religious and so mired down in a waxy buildup that they, they were apathetic. They felt nothing of God. They went through a rote routine, but they knew less and carried on in a faith system that they knew by heart, but it didn't change their heart. It didn't affect or impact their lives. It was meaningless. It was, it was just a ritual. And he showed up as a peculiar messenger in the hopes that a hard-hearted people would hear God for the first time in their lives. He showed up to say, now is the time to deal with the sin issue in your own life. It's time to deal with the spiritual apathy, the cold-hearted response to God every time he wants to speak to you. It's time to leave the darkness, and it's time to enter into the light. It's time to experience a heart change. It's time to get out of the vast distance and difference that there is between you and God. And, and, And it's time for you to become sons and daughters of God rather than estranged strangers. John the Baptist says to his, uni- to his generation, you don't have to live the way you're living right now. You don't have to live so far away for God, from God. There's more. There's, there's more. There's hope. There, and, and, and this hope, it's growing. It's, it's changing lives. And John Mark says to the Roman church, understand that you are the John the Baptists of your city. If there's a people who live anywhere that are more opposed to the message of the gospel than the people of Rome, I don't know where they are, John Mark says. But this is where God has planted you. 
And he's not made a mistake in planting you here. He has you here for a purpose. I have many people in this city that know me not yet, and so I'm asking you to bring them close. Go and find them. Bring them to Jesus. Call them to repent of their sins and turn to God to find the good news that is found and the joy that's found in being forgiven. I'd like to just... I, I wish we had the time just to stop right here and I would pick out about 10, 12, 15 of you just, just to stand up and to tell your story of, of who you were before Jesus came and who you are now since you've met Jesus. Suffice it to say that there are former addicts in this room. There are former criminals in this room. There are people who came from extremely dysfunctional families and impossible situations, but their story changes with these two words, but God, but God. God came in and he, and he revealed himself. God came in and he changed my story. God came and forgave my sin, changed my heart, changed my story, and gave me destiny. And now you wouldn't recognize these people for who they are now from what they were when they started. If that's your story, say amen. amen. The rest of you were going to have an altar call at the end, and you can be changed at that moment. Hope grows. If God could do it in a super religious city of Jerusalem, if he could do it in a dark, violent, perverted city such as Rome, why can't he, why wouldn't he do it in the city of Calgary now through you? Why wouldn't he? Church, prepare the way of the Lord. Open up your heart. Clear your mind. Respond in obedience to the word. Call on his name. Deal with sin. Get ready. Prepare the way of the Lord. Change is coming. I feel like John the Baptist. I feel like John Mark. Get ready. Change is coming. I can't say that enough this morning. Verse 5. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and to hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist, and for food he ate locusts and wild honey. In Israel, something new, something different, something that would grab the attention of people who were so stooped in religious ritual, something different had to happen to grab their attention and make them come awake. There was a huge religious infrastructure that was in place in Israel, and it was powerful, and it was entrenched, and it was corrupt. So corrupt, in fact, that when God sent his own son, and when Jesus shows up, the religious structure doesn't recognize him and does everything they can to assassinate him and get rid of him. And God's way, God whose ways are perfect and above our way, sends John the Baptist, not a man with an Ivy League doctorate in theology, not a man in a Gucci suit with Ferragamo shoes, but a man who looks somewhat uncivilized shows up. Clothes that are woven from coarse camel hair pelts, which is only half a step up in, in comfort from a potato sack. 
a, a, a rough leather belt, not with a shiny buckle, but something that's just been sliced out of a, a, a hide and, and tied roughly around his middle, eating only locusts, reed grasshoppers here, and fighting with bees for a handful of wild honey. God's ways are unique and different than our ways. He, he, he knows how to get people's attention. He, he sends John the Baptist to the wilderness to shout out a message of repentance. And for some reason, people leave their homes in the city and wander out to the wilderness to see this curiosity, this, this weirdo, this, this stranger who's doing strange things out in the middle of nowhere. They, they, they go there and they show up to see this wild man and to listen to what he says. And wonder of wonders, in these vast crowds that come to see him, there were people who heard with their hearts the message that God had been trying for decades, for centuries to get through to Israel. People who, who went beyond his style or his lack thereof and believed his message. And there were people who recognized that they were separated from God because of their sins. And they confessed those sins publicly. And publicly announced that Jesus was now in control of their life by being baptized in the River Jordan. The messenger John the Baptist was interesting and intriguing, but not as important as the message was that he declared. And the message brought about change in the hearts and the lives, in families, in homes, and in a nation. God's ways are wise ways. God's ways are not what we think they should be. That is why he is God, and that's why we are his people. So, so I need you to understand that in this day, in this time, in this city, you and I are the John the Baptists of our generation. It, it doesn't mean that you have to go to Walmart after the service to find coarse weaved camel hair cloaks or go to Whole Foods for grasshoppers and wild honey. God is a God of creative ways and new beginnings. And remember, we talked about this last weekend that, that Breeza reminded us again of it today. For I am about to do a new thing, God says. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will, I will have a pathway through the wilderness. I have created rivers in dry wastelands. God is talking about, God is loving, God is dreaming over my city over your city. He's not willing that any should perish. He, his heart breaks for this city. And he's getting ready to do something in my nation for this generation. And I can't dictate to him what I want or how I think it should be. I have to first deal with my own issues. I have to deal with my sin. I have to operate in obedience to his word. The word says that the beginning point is to repent and to be baptized. And in a moment or two, I'm going to give an opportunity to repent, to come to, into relationship with Jesus. And if, if you've not done that already, that would be a great time for you to say, Jesus, at the beginning of this year, I want to have a relationship with you. I want to know what it is to be loved by you, to be led by you. We will be having a baptismal service in March, and if you're a follower of Jesus, then you can't be halfway following him. You have to wholeheartedly follow him. 
And you have to be sold out and, and live for and love God with your whole heart, your whole mind, and all of your strength. So you should think and pray and be prepared to be baptized in water, publicly saying, I no longer live my life for myself. I live my life for him. When Jesus comes back for his worldwide church, I'm going to have to stand in front of him and give an account for this church in this time and for the passion or lack thereof that we had as a church. And I refuse to let it be said of this church in this time that we were in any way lukewarm to his love for this city or for the need that is present in front of us. The, the, the New Testament paints two very vivid pictures of religious people in the last days. Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud. They will scoff at God. They will be disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving, unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends. They will be reckless. They will be puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could have made them godly. Stay away from people like that. That's the one picture. It's clear. You, you can see it today. But in Acts, it talks about people who, who by the way that they loved, by the way they served God, by, by the spiritual passion that they had, they changed the landscape of the cities where they lived, and they created an atmosphere where people discovered the power and the presence of Jesus. The people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica, and they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth, and as a result, many Jews believed, as did many of the prominent Greek women and men. Or chapter 8 of Acts, Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and he told the people there about the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims, and many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. And so there was a great joy that came on that city. You can either be lukewarm or ice cold or passionate for Jesus. And if you're going to be in this house, and if you're going to call me your pastor, you're going to be passionate. It seems very clear to me in these days that God is looking for a people who can hold on to a hope that a nation can be rescued. That a trend can be reversed. 
that people can see and experience that God doesn't change, that what he did for the Roman Christians in the first century in their city, he can do for you here in my city, for our city, for our families, for the people that cross our path. But he needs a new breed of John the Baptist. You are here in this place for this time, for a purpose, and by divine plan. You have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. You have come to the kingdom for, you know, you won't scare me if you say amen. You have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. You're just afraid that you'll encourage me to preach longer, but I, I, the notes do end. I, I will come to the end here. Uh, in fact, Moira, you can come to the keys if you wouldn't mind. Verse 7, John announced, someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. So much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The biography that John Mark writes is all about Jesus. Mark has heard the greats preach Jesus. It's suggested to us in a few writings that the upper room where the Last Supper was held was in the, the house of Mary, John Mark's mom. Can't prove that or disprove it. It's just been reported that that's, that's likely what happened. And so he was born into this place where he was surrounded by all that God was doing. Mark was an eyewitness to what God was was doing, could do in a city. Mark has been exposed to the hatred of hell that will do anything to stop the advance of the good news of Jesus. Yet he is convinced and he's willing to put his name on a gospel that states clearly, Jesus is the Son of God. And I believe that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of the Father. Whether you bow now of your own volition or whether you bow out of being forced to because of the revelation of who he is at the great throne judgment. John Mark says, I'm willing to write a powerful account of who he is and all that he can do, and I will put my name on it. I'm willing to give the people in the church at Rome reason to be bold in their proclamation, reason to be bold in their living, reason to be bold in their faith of who Jesus is and all that he can do, even if it means laying down their life for the cause. If you get to go to... Um, Washington, D.C., make sure that you go to see the Martin Luther King Memorial. It's, it's a very moving experience. There are many of his quotes carved into stone around his, his statue. But the one that caught, captured me, and I hope I can transfer it to your heart. It says that if a man has not discovered something that he is willing to die for, he isn't fit to live. If a man hasn't discovered something he's willing to die for, 
isn't fit to live. Mark says, Jesus, the Son of God, worth living for, worth being sold out and radical for, worth dying for, if that's the case. Mark, Mark gives you Jesus, paints the story clearly, able to overcome darkness, able to liberate captives, able to deliver people from every and all sickness, able to restore hope, and and, and has been destroyed. But Mark not only says that he is able, Mark emphasized that Jesus is willing. He's willing. When, when you park at one of these places or stop at a stoplight and these folks come with the sign, homeless, anything will help. You have something in your pocket. You're able to help them. Are you willing? I struggle at those stoplights. Some of them have nicer shoes than I do, and I'm thinking, why am I helping you? You should be helping me. Sometimes it's guilt, okay, here. And sometimes, you know, you struggle at those places. But you don't have to struggle here. It's worth, he, he's not only able, but he's willing. Jesus didn't come to sit on a throne and be served and admired and worshipped. He came as the servant to people in need to give his life to rescue and to redeem all of us. And and we're going to see that so beautifully portrayed in Mark. But here's the thing that I want you to know. It's a call to get ready be a part of the light that's going to break through the darkness of this present darkness. God wants to get you ready. If opposition arose in this city against the church of Jesus Christ, if it started tomorrow, would you, would me, would I be arrested before the end of the week? Do we live such a passionate vivid life for the Christ that they'd say hey listen you can shut this thing down pretty fast if you get a hold of them and shut them down the journey through the gospel of Mark is to reveal the real Jesus to reveal his heart his love his power his authority his plan for for people for families for cities for the world but it's also a call Pick up the light of the world and so let his light shine through you that the world is changed. You are worried about loved ones that have renounced faith, who've dug into things that are so far away from God that you can't get much farther away. People that had faith at one time but are not there now. But I want you to know this. God knows their name. God knows their address. He knows where they live. God is faithful and he will chase them until their last breath is breathed, if so necessary. It, in the most violent, difficult, dark, depressing situation, there is hope and hope grows. Hope grows good news for you, no matter how deep, how dark the circumstances are that you presently are in, there is hope. And that's what Mark is all about. And that's why we're going to be in him for, in his word for, for the next couple of months. Will you stand with me? Hope grows. I know what some of you are facing. I don't know what all of you are facing. I know some of you are 
are struggling right this minute because of things that are in front of you. Fear is taunting and tormenting you. You don't know if you can pull any hope together. But I I declare to you this morning, Jesus loves you. Deeply loves you. Has done and will do anything and everything that's necessary to get to you. And that you have every reason to hope in him. In just a moment, I'm going to invite you to come forward if you fall into one of these three categories. Number one, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've never come into relationship with him, then when I say now, I want you to come forward and somebody will come and pray with you and you just say, I'm asking Jesus into my heart and they'll help you with that. doesn't matter what you've gone through, what you've done, where you've been, that's irrelevant. He has pulled and tugged and led and directed and guided you to this moment in this house at this time so that you could have your life enriched and developed in ways that you didn't even imagine. So if that's you, number one, you come when I call. Number two, you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I love Jesus and I, I know he's my hope, but right now I can't get a hold of hope. Right now, there's so many things going on in my life. My, my, my mind is whirling. My, my heart is upset. That you don't know what we're going through. And you're right, I don't know. But the hope of, of the world knows what you're going through. So when I say now, you can come. and Somebody will come with you and they will just partner up and they'll share their faith until your faith gets new grounding and starts to grow. The third group of people are people who just say, hey, listen, I'm not facing any big thing right now, but I realize this. I'm a little apathetic. I'm a little, I'm a little cold. I'm, I'm, I'm not red hot. I'm maybe lukewarm, maybe ice cold. And I don't want to live that way. If that's you, then you come too. Or if you just need somebody to pray with you, there'll be people here. So I'm going to count to three and then I'm going to say now and it's time to come. Don't be afraid. Don't be apprehensive. We're family here.